As you watch this teaching, I would like to ask you to please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to our home group. My name is Rick Renner, and we've been waiting for you to get started again this week. And tonight it's me, Denise, and Joel Paul's missing again, but next week Paul will be here. But Denise, welcome to Home Group. Thanks, Rick. And I want to welcome you, Home Group. We are just absolutely excited about being with you tonight and the things that we're going to talk about. Home Group, look at those earrings. Aren't they great? New earrings, Denise. Yeah, you like like them? Yeah, I like them. Thank you. You're kind of into spots these days. I am. Joel, welcome to Home Group. (laughs) Thank you. I'm looking forward to this also. Joel, what are we talking about tonight? Today we're talking about enemy number one. How do we defeat the devil, and how does he work? How does the devil work, and how do we defeat him? That's right. Okay. I think it's going to be fun. But first, if you guys want to comment, tell us what you think. If you'd like this video, I think more people will be able to see it, and that would be wonderful. But, Mama, would you start us off with prayer? I would love to. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for our home group, for everyone that's with us right now. And, Father, you said that if we would desire you, if we would seek you with all of our heart, Mm -hmm. we would find you, Lord. And Lord, right now, we're opening on our hearts to hear from you more of what you want to say to us. And we thank you, Father, for your promise that you said you'd speak to us. Mm -hmm. And we receive from you tonight Mm -hmm. in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, you know, before we get into the questions, I now understand why Joel gave me these products. You know, he hands us these things, we wonder why. But he handed me my book called Dress to Kill. And if we're going to talk about the devil, then I want to say something about Dress to Kill. Mm-hmm. I wrote this book because a lot of people have an imbalanced view of the devil. Your view of the devil has to be right or you are going to get messed up. He's not over you. You are over him. Amen. Amen. That's right. And in this book, I'm telling you, this is really an important book. The whole book begins with a chapter called Spiritual Warfare Mania. You got to keep this thing under control. We are not out doing voodoo to get rid of the devil. No, 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 friends. We have authority over the devil. That's right. In fact, even though the Bible talks a lot about spiritual weapons and taking authority over all the works of the enemy, when you come to Romans 16, There's only one verse about the devil in the whole book of Romans. That's amazing to me. 16 chapters, possibly the most important theological book in the whole New Testament. And Paul, like, nearly forgets to mention the devil until chapter 16, verse 20, almost the very end of the last chapter. He says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. That word shortly is an old phrase which referred to the way that Roman soldiers marched. They stomped. They walked shortly. They took small stomping steps. And if you fell down in front of them, they didn't stop for you. Too bad for you. You shouldn't have gotten in front of a Roman soldier. They just went on marching. They would trample you underfoot, crushing you because they had hobnails on the bottom of their shoes. They would have left you hamburger meat on the street behind them. And when Paul says God will bruise Satan under your feet shortly, it literally means if the devil is stupid enough to get in front of you, 
just keep marching. Mm -hmm. Draw as much blood as you can. Just keep marching. Just pound as you walk on by. That's the devil's position under your feet. That's Paul's big theological statement about the devil. Now, that doesn't mean the devil won't try to operate. He will try to operate. That's why I wrote this book. Mm -hmm. But what you believe about him, how you act about him, it needs to be based on the devil, not on movies, not on some old wives' tale, not on some kind of spiritual voodoo. You need to base it on what the Bible says. And the Bible is loaded with information. And you find the primary way the devil attacks is through the mind. That's really what this book is about. It's about mental warfare because the mind is the central control center of your life. God knows that. The devil knows that. The entertainment world knows that. The educational world knows that. That's why everybody's after your mind. Everybody wants your mind. Mm. That's why they want the mind of your children as young as possible. If they can get the mind of your children, they can control what your children believe. And if they can control your children's minds, they can determine the outcome of society. Even society knows that. God knows if he can get your mind and if Jesus' lordship and his word can be rooted in your mind, then from your mind, God's word will begin to dominate your life. And the devil knows the importance of your mind. And that if you can get a foothold in your mind and build a stronghold there, then from your mind and from your imagination, he'll begin to rule you and dictate what you're going to be, what you're going to think, how you're going to feel about yourself. Anyway, so you need to know what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. And I just have to say that the words war and warfare in the New Testament appear five times, and all five times they're used in connection with the mind. Isn't that something? The Apostle Paul even said that we are aware that Satan wants to pull devices on us. That word devices is the word noemata, from the word noose. The word noose is the word for the mind. Noemata is mind games, the schemings of the mind. The devil wants to get in people's heads and scramble their brains, mess them up in the way they're thinking, and then tell them how to think. Anyway, so this book is called You Don't Have to Take It Anymore Because You Are Dressed to Kill a Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare and Armor. And friends, I know that we all like pictures. Look at this. This one is loaded with pictures of spiritual armor. Exactly what the spiritual weapons looked like that the Apostle Paul described in Ephesians chapter 6. It's just great. And now I understand why Joel brought the study guide called How to Keep the Devil Out of Your Life. This is 10 lessons. It'd be great for you to use in a Bible study group or to share with a friend or maybe just you and your kids or just you. It's really practical about how to shut every door to make sure the devil has no access to your mind, to your kids, to your house, to your health. There are practical things you can do to shut the door so he can't get in. And really, the best spiritual warfare is shutting all the doors, living right, making sure you're not leaving any cracks so the devil finds access. Really, if you'll just live a holy and consecrated life, most of your warfare, it will already be finished. Anyway, that's the way we're getting started here today. That's good. Thanks for bringing these. All right. Well, David is asking, Okay. Why does the Bible talk about spiritual warfare? Are we in a battle? 
If we are, does that mean we should go to war every day? Well, of course we're in a battle. Of course we are. We're in a battle for the souls of men. You know, it's, it, this is really about souls. The devil's after souls and God's after souls. Jesus paid the price for souls mm -hmm. because he loves people. And there's a battle being fought for the soul of the world. Yes, we're in a battle. I believe that. The Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but about spiritual forces. That's correct. And so we're in a battle for, for righteousness. We are. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go around all the time fighting all day long. That's, that's what I call mania. Don't do that. But when you feel like you, you feel alerted in your spirit that you're headed into something, or if you feel that something evil is trying to cross the line into your life, my gosh, drive it right back out. It doesn't belong in your life. You've been given the, the weaponry to make sure it doesn't stay in your territory. You just need to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Cindy is asking, in the book of Daniel, it talks about how the angel was sent to answer his prayer right away. But it took him a long time to get to Daniel because he was in a spiritual battle. Can spiritual warfare hinder our prayers? Absolutely. In fact, when you study Daniel chapter 10, Denise, please jump in here at any minute. And, Dan, and, and home group, if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. We want to hear from you. But in Daniel chapter 10, the Bible tells us that Daniel set his heart to pray. And Daniel waited and waited and waited. And finally, 21 days later... Well, he fasted for 21 days. He fasted. But he was praying. He was fasting. Mm -hmm. And 21 days later, Michael showed up. Michael, the angel, who is the warring angel. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, Daniel, I would have been here sooner. But on the way, I confronted several principalities, and I had to do business with them. The Prince of Greece, he names them. He had to fight them on the way. And actually, when I'm getting ready to do a whole series on this. There's, there are principalities over the world. There, there are principalities over cities, over nations. Uh, there are principalities over the Middle East. That's, for example, that's one reason why the war in the Middle East is not going to be entirely won with bullets. It's not a natural war. There are principalities there that have been over the Middle East for thousands of years. They just may change faces as far as their rulers, but it's the same principalities behind the, behind the scenes. They have to be dealt with spiritually. You can't defeat a principality with bullets. That doesn't mean you shouldn't use bullets. I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying behind everything, there's something else. Mm -hmm. Many cities have principalities. I'm sure there's a principality over Moscow, a principality over San Francisco. I'm certain of it. Some kind of a principality over the city of New York. There are principalities that are stationed around the world. And as believers, we don't have to be afraid of that, but we have to do our warfare to pull them down, to break through. Those things try to hinder revival. They try to hinder the souls of men. And we can deal with those things and we can pull them down in Jesus' name. And we do. You aren't saying that Weapons are a solution. You're saying that you know, physical ideas are not going to solve the problem. Phys physical problems are not going to solve spiritual problems. Now, they may help, but it will just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. It's kind of like the wind and the waves that I teach, that the disciples were fighting the waves, and it was just the waves just kept coming, the waves just kept coming, the waves just kept coming. It's over in Mark chapter 4. We don't know how long the disciples were fighting the waves, the waves, the waves. But when Jesus got up, 
Jesus immediately spoke to the wind. Mm -hmm. He went beyond those things. Did they have a wave problem? Absolutely. But they were fighting the symptoms rather than dealing with the invisible force. Jesus went right for the invisible force. And once he was finished dealing with the spirit realm, he just looked at the sea, which was not a problem, and said, shh. And the Bible says, the wind ceased. Do you know what the Greek says? It says, the wind gave up the fight. It was a spiritual force. And there was a great peace. If they had kept fighting the waves only, they would have never ended the fight. Because if you defeat one wave, uh, he's going to send another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. That's why people get so exhausted in life. They expel so much energy fighting the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. If you just deal with symptoms, he'll send you another symptom, and another symptom, and another symptom, and another symptom, and another problem, and another problem. Eventually, you've got to say, enough of this, and you've got to get up and deal with the invisible realm. That's really what we're talking about, about principalities. Well, and sometimes when you see some kind of a demonic oppression trying to destroy one of your loved ones, I mean, you have authority over that, and they mm -hmm. might be deceived. And so you're in a real spiritual battle. Yeah. You're in a spiritual battle for that person. And so in that place, you have to learn what are my weapons? What power do I have? Because my weapons aren't carnal. They're mighty through They're God. They're mighty through God. To the, the pulling, pulling down, down of strongholds. strongholds. So you have, to, you, you have to stay in the battle until you see those strongholds come down. And I promise you, if you stay in there, you have more authority than the devil. If you stay in there, you can pull them down. But Joel, the majority of times, the devil can't operate unless he finds a loophole. He has to find a crack. He has to find some way to get in. And I'm just thinking about me and mom right now because in the very, very early years of our traveling ministry, Denise and I bought a little tiny Isuzu. I mean, it was tiny. Tiny, tiny, tiny. And we, I saw a picture of that car. Yeah. And when you guys put all the luggage on it, yeah. it was taller than it was long. <laughs> uh, I, I strapped the luggage so tall on top of that. It was the, We were taller than we were long. <laughs> we were. And we Rick, looked ridiculous. We looked like the Leaning Tower of Pizza driving down the street. Um, Rick, your sister, my Aunt Trula, yeah. showed me that picture. Yeah. And she, this was just a few years ago. Yeah. And she, when she showed me the photograph. Yeah. And she, she went like this. Like, what were they thinking? Well, hey, you know, when you're young, you have faith. Who cares? We were having a blast. Well, and, and I want to tell you this about Rick. He would have to unstrap that luggage every single night because we'd be in a different hotel every single night. So there he was unstrapping all that luggage, taking it off, and I was unpacking it. This is every night. Then get up in the morning, put the luggage back on top of the roof, strap it in again. I mean, we did it all the time. And we did it for several years. <laughs> but when you're in a little tight, compact unit like that, yeah. here's Paul in the back seat, and Paul would not stay in the baby seat. What's that called in the car? It's called a baby a seat. Booster? Booster. Uh, a booster. It was a booster at was that a time. car seat. He would not stay in his car seat. Ugh. 
I'd get him in his car seat. By the time I would get back in the driver's seat, he was already out of the car seat. It was so exasperating. Denise was carrying Philip on her lap. She was breastfeeding Philip. That was back in the days when you could do that. And we were sitting so close in that car that our hips nearly touched each other. That's how tiny that car was. Well, we were driving hours and hours and hours and hours and hours with Paul in the back seat, who was crying and upset and constantly getting out of the car seat, and Philip, who was a baby, who wanted to sleep and couldn't sleep because he was riding in the front seat of the car. And sometimes Denise and I would like just get in strife. <laughs> and we're not strifeful people. We really are not. We just don't do that. But when you're in that tight of a unit and all that screaming and crying, sometimes we just came to the end of ourselves and we would just get in strife. And what we learned, we just begin to notice it. Every time we got into strife, our kids got sick. Isn't that the truth? Well, yes, and then Philip stuck his hand in that hot coffee and had second-degree burns on his hand, but we were in strife that night. We were in strife that night when that happened. And you know what? We finally like woke up and said, wait a minute. Have you noticed every time we've had to go to the emergency room <laughs> or every time our kids have strangely got sick, it has followed a moment of strife. And we realized that strife opened a door for sickness to come into our family. So guess what we did? That was the moment, years and years and years ago, when Philip was still a lap child, we made in our family a decision for a no-strife policy. We're not going to be in strife. And guess what? All those weird physical attacks, they ended because we found the entryway that it was getting into our home. And one day we were riding in the car and Denise and I were tempted to get in strife and we're not strifeful people. And I said, Denise, this is not us. This is a spirit of strife. Tell them what we did. So we rolled down the window and we said, get out of the car. Get out of the car. Goodbye. And we rolled the window back up <laughs> and we never had that again. It was spiritual. It was, we, it was not us. It was something spiritual. And if we made room for it, it brought sickness into our home. We closed the door to it. And sometimes people in their relationships are making huge mistakes by being against one another. They open a door. When it's really the enemy mm -hmm. that's trying to separate them from each other. You know, if you look at the majority of spiritual attacks, not always, please hear me all the way, not always, but in most cases... Something happened along the way that opened a door for it. And sometimes you got to repent for that. you got to go back and say, hey, Lord, we're going to seal that. Now, if the devil's already got in the house, you can get him out. You may need help. You may need to call your pastor. You may need to call a friend. You may need to get counseling. Do whatever you have to do, but get him out. He doesn't belong in your house like sickness. It's a foul enemy. It doesn't belong in your house. Get it out. Yeah, I think you, you know. Can. That's why you need this book, and that's why you need this study guide called "How to Keep the Devil Out of Your Life." It will really help you. I think the one really important thing is that you realize, and we realize, that 
We are the ones with the authority, not the devil. He's not the one with the authority. We're the ones with the authority. And the Bible says that the one inside of you is greater than he that's in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it is a warfare, but you have to stay in that place, seeking God, fasting, praying, repenting, whatever you have to do yep. to stay in there and win that battle. And you will win if you don't quit. Can I say something else about, about using your authority? In Mark chapter 4, when Jesus took authority over the wind, the invisible force, then the natural problem went away. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, he arose and rebuked the wind. The word rebuke means he used his voice. He didn't just think to the wind. He didn't just think to that invisible force. He spoke to it. He addressed it. And listen to what the disciples said in verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? That word obey is a military term, which means to fall in line. When a believer speaks and uses their God-given authority, the demonic realm will obey. But it will not obey your thoughts. It obeys your voice. You've got to speak to it and it will obey. That Greek word means it will fall in line. I hope that helped you. I think it is helpful. This is so practical. Good. Thomas is asking, I have opened the door to the devil by going to a palm reader and doing a seance. How do I close the door of the devil and get back on track with Jesus? Well, first of all, you repent for going to a seance and going to a palm reader. You have the Bible. You don't need that. You have the leading of the Holy Spirit. You don't need a palm reader. You don't need a seance. And you already know that. But I'm just telling you, you don't need that. Repent. And don't bang yourself over the head. Don't condemn yourself for doing that. You already did it. You can't do anything about it. Just put it under the blood and walk away from it forever. Walk away from it. Put it behind you. Just put it behind you. And move on. Just begin to rebuild. Renew your mind when the devil tries to speak to you. He'll probably try to speak to you through whatever that palm reader told you. That, the thoughts that palm reader gave you, the devil's probably repeating it to you over and over and over and over and over again. You'd say, that's a lie and I'm not listening to that anymore. But don't think against it. Speak to it. Answer it. And it'll obey you. You know, and I would, I would, I would hold, I would, I mean, the blood of Jesus is powerful. Absolutely. And the blood of Jesus is at the mercy seat of Christ right now in heaven. And it is speaking. It's speaking your deliverance. It's speaking your healing. It's speaking your peace. And so you can say, Jesus, I claim your blood over my mind right now. And, and that blood is speaking and that blood has delivery. What do you mean it's speaking? You're assuming everybody knows what you're talking about. That blood has a voice. Okay. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has a voice. Okay. This is wonderful. Richard is asking, there are so many movies, songs, games, with the devil depicted as a major evil. How scary is the devil? Well, how scary is the devil? I think to a non-believer... He's very scary. That's a serious issue. Yeah, it's very serious. But for those who have the blood of Jesus that you're talking about, Mama, we have more power than he does. And we I, have to realize that. But even for an for a unsanctified believer who doesn't know what the Bible says and the door is thrown wide open, 
The devil can wreak havoc in their life. In fact, the Bible tells us in Peter, he's coming to seek whom he may devour. The devil is devouring. He is devouring. So he really can be scary. He's not scary to us. Well, he's Because we know playing. who we are in Jesus. I don't even think of, honestly, folks, I don't even think about the devil. I don't even think about the devil unless I sense something or unless I feel I'm supposed to pray in a certain direction or if I feel something's trying to invade our family or my health or our home or our ministry, I, I say, huh, you're not crossing that line. But I don't sit around thinking about the devil because honestly, I'm meditating on Jesus so much. And when you fill your mind with the word of God, and when you fill your space with the Spirit of God, truly, you push those forces right out of your life. You push them right out. I see the devil working in other people's lives. Now I see that. Denise and I talk about it all the time. We see people being ravaged by the devil. But Denise, it's usually wrong decisions, wrong actions, not going to church, not treating their spouse right, but they're being ravaged by the devil, but he's, he's entering through all those portals, through all those open doors. That's right. Bad eating wrong. Bad acquaintances. Eating wrong. If you mm -hmm. eat wrong, you open a door. You say, well, that's just eating bad. No, you'll open a door. The devil come right through that into your health. He will. Mm -hmm. And then you have to figure a way to get him out of your health. Mm -hmm. So just use common sense and most spiritual warfare will be done with. Unforgiveness, bitterness, that opens a huge door to the devil because the Bible says that don't even go to bed angry at night because the next verse is it, it leaves a door open to the devil. So you don't even want to go to bed angry. So Okay, well, Denise, so what if you're upset and it's 12 o'clock at night, what are you supposed to do? Well, you can still deal with your own heart. How? You can get up, you can pray, you can seek the Lord. You can get His voice, His will on that subject. Repent and get the peace of God. And go to sleep. And go to sleep. Amen. And it doesn't take long. God is very quick to communicate. God's not saying, beg a little bit more. I want you to pray another hour and then maybe I'll answer you. No, no, no. God is, he, His voice is speaking all the time. He just needs an ear. But it might take us a while to hear him. Takes us a while. It doesn't take God long. He's no, ready to speak. No, he's ready. He's, he just needs an ear. Robbie is asking. The Bible says, uh, it, it says to, I'm going to paraphrase this, but it says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He'll flee from you. She's asking, is the devil impatient? Impatient? If you can resist him, I guess this is the question. Mm -hmm. then is he impatient to flee? It, well, it, well, does it take a long time for the devil to, to leave you? Well, the devil will push you around as long as you allow him to push you around. But the moment you stand up to him, he will flee. He doesn't know how to deal with that. And the word flee in Greek, that's in James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. You know what the first part of the verse says? Draw near to God. It says, submit to God. Yeah. When you're submitted, when you're in a right relationship with God, that's when you really have authority to, to resist the devil. That's the truth. Now, if you're not in right relationship with God, 
you're going to be pretty weak in your resistance. But when you are submitted to God and your relationship with Him is right, you are empowered and emboldened to stand like a wall against the enemy. And when the Greek says he'll flee, that word flee means he will run so fast his feet will not hit the ground. He will make a dash. Isn't that amazing? It's awesome because he doesn't have any power. If we close the door, he doesn't have any power. He, he's just a, a lawbreaker. He works through cracks, open doors, violations. He's looking for some way. He really doesn't have any authority because Jesus outwitted him at the cross, stripped him. That's what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2. Jesus stripped principalities and powers, stripped him bare, left him with nothing to retaliate. Wow. So now as a lawbreaker, he's just looking for sneaky ways to get in. And he lies and deceives. So yeah. if he can lie and tell you that, you know, this and that and this and that, and you listen, well, then he can deceive you into believing his lie. Well, really, the devil is an illusionist. Mm. He operates in illusion. Mm -hmm. He tells people to think things. He's like a hypnotist. Think this thought. He's all the time trying to inject thoughts. He's an illusionist. And if you believe the illusion, it might become your reality. Yeah. You have to be very careful what you believe and what you hear, what you listen to. And if you receive that fear, because that fear, it's, that, a, it's a door. That opens the door. Joel, what's another question? Tina is asking, is the devil afraid of anything? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, let me read something to you. Let me go over here. James chapter 4. You want to hear an awesome verse? Yes. James, I'm sorry, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and... Tremble. Tremble. You know what that word tremble means? to be spooked. They're spooked. When someone moves in authority or uses the name of Jesus, it spooks the devil. Every time I read that verse, I think about when I was a child because we went to the Baptist church and every Sunday after church, I would run out to my dad's car and I would get in the front seat behind the driver's, behind the driver's wheel and I'd get set real low and I would wait for women to walk by. And just when they would get in front of the car, I would hit the horn. And those women would just jump. Ah! I mean, just they would just jump and shriek. It was a terrible thing to do. But every time I read that verse, that's what I think about. Because when we use the name of Jesus, we totally spook the devil. He's like, ah! that's that name. Absolutely, he's terrified of the name of Jesus. Wow. Even when Jesus was in the earth, the demons screamed, Ah, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I also think it's interesting that demons recognize Christians. They said to those, those group of people, they said, We know who Paul is. We know who, we know who Jesus is. But who are you? They know. They know prominent Christians. They know who believers are. Yes, they do. And they know fact, can, the power. Can I tell you something happened one time years ago? Yeah. I was in San Francisco. My mother was with me. And we were, Denise and I were holding a meeting in San Francisco. And for some reason, my mother and I, just the two of us, were walking down the streets of San Francisco at a bad time of the night. I don't even know why. I think I just wanted to show my mother the city. This man's walking in front of us, all right? I'm looking at the back of his head. 
I can see that this is a very disturbed man. Suddenly he turned around and looked at me. He said, I know who you are. (laughs) And I know why you're here. You're here to drive us out of here. That demon knew who I was. My mother's eyes were like this. That demon knew who I was. The spirit realm knows us. And I have to tell you, it's thrilling when you discover that hell knows your name. Mm -hmm. When hell knows your name. How do you think Paul felt when he heard that that demon said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? I bet that made Paul's day. My friend, when you're walking with God, hell knows your name. You have authority. That's right. That's the truth. And the devil is afraid of Jesus' name. James is asking, can the devil read your mind? Well, the Bible doesn't answer that question. People people say all kinds of things about that, but I'm not going to say what the Bible doesn't say. Mm -hmm. The Bible doesn't tell us if the devil can read your mind, but the Bible does tell us that the devil can inject thoughts into your mind. He's more interested in influencing your mind and telling you what to think than reading your mind. He's really not interested in that. He's interested in injecting thoughts into your mind. In fact, let me read a verse to you. That's that's a great question. Let's go to the Gospel of John. I'll show you something. Well, and he can hear what you say. He hears what you say. That's right. Did you say John? Yep, John. Let's go to John chapter... Uh, chapter 13, chapter 13, and listen to what the Bible says about Judas Iscariot. John chapter 13, verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil now having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Put into there is a translation of the word balo. It means to inject or to throw or to hurl. And do you know when the devil did that? We even know when he did it. He did it a couple chapters earlier when Judas got into strife with Jesus. When Jesus was in the home of Mary Mary and Martha and he had raised Lazarus from the dead, they came and Mary poured ointment upon Jesus' feet and Judas Iscariot said, what is this waste? This could have been sold. We could have given this money to feed the poor. And Jesus said, <clears throat> the poor you have always with you, but you won't always have me. Mm-hmm. And she's preparing me for my burial. And he said to, to Judas, let her alone. Leave her alone. But you know, you know what Judas probably heard? There's lots of poor people. There's only one of me. That's probably what Judas heard. And in that moment when he became offended, a door opened and bam. The Bible tells us in John 13, verse 2, the devil injected a seed of betrayal into Judas' heart. He wasn't looking to read Judas' mind. He was looking to inject something into his mind that would ruin him. We have to be careful what we listen to and be very careful about offense. Because offense is a door. You don't want offense in your life. If you have any offense, uproot it. Get rid of it. By the way, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17, it's something else you have to speak to. You have to speak to offense. 
You have to speak to it and tell it to be uprooted and be cast into the sea, and your emotions will obey you. That tree, that bitter tree of offense will obey you. In fact, Jesus says it will obey you. Well, and Rick, I want to point out, I mean, Mary, she was worshiping, with, I mean, with almost a whole year's salary, this ointment was that expensive. It was almost worth a whole year's salary. And she was worshiping Jesus. And we have to be careful about what we think about when people are worshiping Jesus, that we don't resent someone worshiping Jesus. Maybe we don't understand their worship, or maybe, you know, it's not the way we worship. But don't judge somebody else's worship. And that is what Judas did. He, he, re, I, I, he did not like that she was pouring out this expensive oil onto Jesus. Well, Judas had a lot of issues. He had a lot of issues. For example, he always called Jesus teacher. He never called Jesus Lord. Think how many people come to Jesus as a teacher, but they've never really submitted to him as Lord. Even in the very last moment when he came to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Teacher, he did not call Jesus Lord. So Judas had a lot of issues. Joel, you have another question? We do have two more questions. Oh, my goodness, we're almost out of time. Kevin is asking, the devil spoke to Eve in the form of a serpent. Can the devil take the form of other animals? Can he also take over the weather, earth, fire, or plant life? Well, the devil works through systems. Second Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes and says that Satan is the god of this world. Now, is he ascribing too much authority to the devil there? No. The word world is the word cosmos. It's not the word gase. The word gase means the planet. He didn't say that Satan was god of the planet. He said of the world. The word cosmos, the word world, means systems. Systems like entertainment, education, the courts, Hollywood, the devil fashion, music. The devil works through little systems. He's really not lord over anything. He's just a thief. He's a violator looking for ways to get in. And he tries to get into systems that he can manipulate and control. And it's very possible that the devil can do things in nature. You know, the, the earth... The earth came under a curse because mm -hmm. of what Adam did. Yes. So there's a curse in the world. But we have authority to drive it out of our life. In fact, the Bible says we have a faith that overcomes the world. That word world there is that word cosmos. We have a faith that overrides every system, which means if you know how to walk in faith, you can live above everything. You can live above the curse. You can live above every system. You can live above it all. Faith enables you to override it all. Amen. Thank God for faith. I know as believers, we have power. We do. Moses, he listened to God and the Red Sea divided. And we have power that God's given us if we listen to his spirit. Amen. That's the truth. The last question is from Doug. There are some strange places on earth. It seems like they are places that are cursed. Does the devil hang out around those places of evil? Well, there are some places of evil. But you know what? They don't have to stay that way. The promised land was filled with it because the Rephaim were there, the Nephilim were there, 
the Amorites were there, the Canaanites were there. There were all kinds of cursed places. But the children of Israel came in. And you know what God said to the children? I just read it this week in the book of Exodus. God said, I'll send the hornet before you, the hornet, to drive them out of the land. But you know what else God said to them? I was sharing this with Denise. God said, I'm not going to drive them out all at once. Mm -hmm. Because if they vacate the land, the land will become unmanageable and the animals will grow out of control. So I'm just going to drive them back a little at a time. The hornet will drive them back a little at a time. And you know, as you take one step and move forward and move forward, God will go before you and even places that have been cursed, you can take that. And God wants you to take it. Wow, that's wonderful. Amen. Hey, we're out of time. We are. Hey, we're so glad you joined us. And we're going to be here again next week for home group. Bring your cup of coffee. I have mine. Bring your Bible because we believe in the Bible and the Renner family. And this is the Renner family home group. And we're so glad. And it's been good, Denise. Oh, yeah. I just was thinking about what you were saying and how merciful God is because he never wants to leave us without light. Mm. And he, he is, his word is a light and a lamp unto our feet. And as we, as we look as, at his word, as we, as we seek his word, his wisdom, and we take one step, and, and, then, and then he's lighting the path for us to take the next step. And all of our steps is going to defeat the devil. Amen. Joel, thanks for being our good moderator. Yeah, Joel, you're well, really good. Well, this has good. been a blast, and we've enjoyed your questions. Really, it's been fun. Home group, we love you. We love you, and we speak the life of God to you. Use your voice of authority. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to be afraid of. Remember, Jesus said over and over, be not afraid. The Greek says, put a halt to that fear. Stop it. Stop it now. Believe. Be believing. You have what you need to override everything. Drive that evil right out of your life. Speak it to you in Jesus' name. Bye. We'll see you in the next home group. If that teaching helped you, would you please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it?